coat of gold Hello. and a coat of red. Did you hear the king? Did you hear about the king? What? Say what? I don't know if Micah heard about the king yet, but we sure did. That wasn't really Eric, that was me singing. Oh, okay. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That was his best Eric impression. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who didn't like it, direct your uh, comments and like it. I believe this is the episode that a lot of you, probably Micah more importantly, have been waiting for us to make. Welcome everybody to Game of Owns. It is Monday and things happened last night or just now because we're recording directly after it happened. It's true. It is true. It's, uh, I, I have been waiting for this episode and, uh, you know, I, I don't think I gave as much uh, sort of build-up as I did for the Red Wedding, uh, <laughs> which was probably weeks, months of just talk and, and torture Years. for the two of you. Uh, but this <laughs> one, I think, uh, really lived up to uh, the expectations that book readers had, uh, at least for me. I mean, I will say, while Joffrey is dead... The fact that we as fans are losing Jack Gleason, who just did an awesome job portraying Amazing. him for the past four seasons, yep. is probably the worst part of it all. That is true, and I just love how he made literally everybody at that scene hate him uh, before he went. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Except well, yeah. Cersei. I think and some a lot more. She she probably was a play. bit uncomfortable, maybe. What do you think? Yeah. I think all the Lannisters Every, were uncomfortable. Was. Yeah. Joffrey turned that event into something that was awkward for a lot of people, and then the event turned into a way that was awkward for him. If that makes any sense, <laughs> I'm just looking at Twitter right now, and uh, we were we were you know making a few tweets about owns and stuff uh, while the episode was airing, and then here just after, and uh, it is staggering. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite impressive. At least here in New York, which is what I have my uh, Twitter trends list set to, I see the purple wedding trending just below uh, a promoted uh, trend. And then also the lion and the rose is trending as well. So if it's trending here in New York, I assume it's probably trending uh, across the U.S. and possibly worldwide. So uh, it's just an explosion on on social media, and it's what was expected. I don't remember seeing the Red Wedding blow up as much. I think people were too stunned and too shocked and possibly – uh, too somber to actually go to their computer and, and react right away. But this is something that people can really rally around. Uh, <laughs> this is a character that everybody was just waiting to bite the dust, and, and finally it happened. And, uh, and at his own wedding, what, his own wedding, what poetic justice is that? Is it wrong that my restless leg syndrome is in overdrive right now because I'm so excited? I feel like something you know bad and terrible happened because a very important character died in the show. But this is something, like you said, that we can rally around and be excited about, right? Like, can we officially focus group style right now on Goose say it's okay to be happy about this? I, I think so. Is it? I mean, someone passed in the story. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be, as a fan, happy that this has taken place? It's One way to look at it is it clearly spells trouble for one of our favorite characters in Tyrion, who is now being blamed for this. Right, and that was a, a sick final move by, by Joffrey to sort of point at Tyrion. And, and can I just say, I, I really don't think, you know, he cannot be accused for this murder. That's just silly. He did not choose to be the cupbearer for Joffrey. And what is he supposed to do? Carry on poison in his front jacket pocket and slip it in when nobody sees? So I, I think it's a little ridiculous, but of course Joffrey just can't stand the idea of having someone who outsmarts him 
live. And I think that was sort of what went into his, his dying wish there. Or or maybe he just held his hand up because he was just, you know, like, this really hurts. and Reaching I mean, on to life. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was it was absolutely intense. And I, I know that we were coming down off of what happened at the end of last season. So I definitely don't want to compare the two occasions because they're separated in every mm. way. For them to make that sort of death so intense, I'm just going to use the word again, to make it that, oh, wow, this is happening, this is happening, good on them. And the effects were were mastered differently than the other version, and it was even more, it was just the effect, I, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm taking another <laughs> drink of water. It's exciting. This entire episode was insane. We, yes. we, there's so much to talk about, not limited to just what happened, the pile of people that was over the body of King Joffrey as he was passing away, his mother, his father, his uncle picking up a goblet, you know, just in the background. Like, this was a crazy, crazy episode begun by what I, to me, was one of my favorite sequences in the entire series so far, which was the people hunting. I thought it was great. I just don't know what to say right now, guys. I'm just too excited. Yeah, that was terrifying. But if you look, if you look at it this way, this episode really set up the next, uh, should I call it the winning family? <laughs> of of terrible people like if the Lannisters have suffered a fall from grace by the end of uh this show uh, although i guess the succession would would mean that tommen is now going to be the king um can you confirm or deny that that is the well rules? that's usually how it works yes that's yeah. the rules so <laughs> yeah, i mean the, the lannisters are still in power but tommen i mean for all we know is kind of a decent guy he doesn't even have anything against nuts the way rickon does so <laughs> I, yeah, I'll open that. But but the the Boltons, um, knowing this episode was written by George R. R. Martin, and also knowing that a lot of what happens with Theon happens much later in the book series, books that we'll never get to on time, um, you know, before the seasons get here, reading them on the show, uh, this insight into those characters and the way they play off each other um, was astounding. It was it was excellent. Yeah, and what really struck me was the the death scene. In particular, because just what continuously happened to him throughout the course of those couple of minutes, it just seemed like it was going to end, but then it got worse. Like oh, the, yeah. You know, he was choking, but then the blood started to trickle oh, out, of uh, his nose. out of his nose, and then his eyes started to go red, and yeah. you know, his vomit spread across his face. It was Is it bad it that was I was epic. just like, hey, you should drink some more of that when he started coughing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Joffrey, drink it down. Come on. You know, get it out. Okay, well, this is a question I, I, that's been floating around inside of my head since I saw the episode. I was just wondering, the people that are sullied, uh, you will have a different answer to this question than the unsullied listeners that we have but i'm wondering whether or not you guys were able to sort of gauge that something ominous was going to happen at this part of the episode because it stretched this long and we all knew to expect something insane was going to happen so you know going into it i felt like there was three or four different moments at the feast that i thought were really ominous and they were kind of pointing and tapping people like george wrote the episode so it's sort of his way of saying you've read my books you you know something's gonna happen <laughs> this bass is coming in i didn't tell the sound guy to do the bass here but he knew to do it oh next up oh you know the the place happening and joffrey is laughing and having such a good time and he's like spitting up wine is that gonna happen no it doesn't happen it just it just kept going until the very end and then it happened <sighs> yeah it was it was the heartstrings were being tugged at. Yeah, you really don't know. I mean, as somebody who obviously has read the books, uh, you knew it was coming at some point, but the way that they just drew it out throughout the course of the episode, because there were some really tense moments. Uh, if there was a scene in particular between Oberyn and Tywin and Cersei, where uh, he, and and knowing his conversations prior with Tyrion that uh, he could be up to something. 
who knows what tricks he would have up his sleeve uh, in, in this type of a situation. And then I, I personally thought, though, and, and knowing who is behind this, uh, that it was made very obvious in this episode. Oh, really? Overtly. I'll, obvious. Really? I'll, Beyond I'll fight. obvious. Wow. Who is responsible I'll, for this? I'll fight that because when Tyrion went and grabbed the wine, both cups, one was in front of Cersei and one was in front of the Queen of Thorns. You know, I I, I was obviously expecting this. I I I, noted, I wrote it down. I was like, this is not going to end well for Tyrion. And uh, really, just I think that the two people I wanted to blame most, um, Oberyn Martell, who never approached the dais, if you will. Um, so I doubt it was him. Um, and Cersei. Just judging by the reaction on her face as she cradled her dead son, I thought Cersei may have, you know, been the one to do this at first because of the way she was kind of just very upset and walking around. And I, I thought it would be the craziest thing if she convinced herself that her son must die. It would certainly be a twist in the storyline, uh, but I think you know, she's shown over the course of the seasons that she cares very much for her son and she loves her children more than anything else. She said it numerous times and... I think that you know, the, your observations of the Queen of Thorns, uh, I, there was a number of times uh, th- there were things that I noticed, particularly about her, that stood out to me. I, I just think that the show, you know, it, it's one of those things where maybe you go back and you watch it one or two more times and you really see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but I thought if I was an innocent bystander watching this episode – I would and and knowing that clearly Tyrion was not responsible for this, right? That the Queen of Thorns is suspect number one in my book. Well, this is where all of you listening at home and all of you playing at home play detective for us and go back, rewatch the episode, take notes, email us all of your notes, tweet us all your notes, and we're gonna uncover the unsullied ones of us on the show. We're gonna figure out through true deduction, Eric. We're gonna use data. And Jordy style. I'm not even going to go Holmes and Watson. We're going to go Data and Jordy style. We're going to find out who did this and what exactly happened. Because I have no idea. I really don't. I think that there were some cues along the entire episode when you look at it after the fact that were kind of you know pointing in certain directions. But mm-hmm. there were more than one. So it's right. a, it certainly is a Dixon Hill well, mystery. If you uh, <laughs> if you put a list of suspects together, I mean, they could be endless. Uh, knowing how many people really dislike Joffrey. Well, that's that's just it. I mean, and the the only reason I think it maybe could be Cersei, I I, I enjoy that I think it could be a Lannister because Lannisters, uh, especially Tywin, but also Tyrion and Jaime and Cersei, all value their family above everything else in the entire world. But you get the sense from watching him. I mean, Tywin was not taking any pleasure over Joffrey's antics, and you know it was to another Lannister to Tyrion. Yeah, but he's never smiled though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even uh, Olena points that out at one point in the episode. <laughs> Not now, Mace. Smiled. I'm talking to Tywin. Just the idea that I think in a, in a it was perhaps uh, not as likely as everyone else in the room, but slightly possible at the very least, uh, is excellent writing or excellent acting. Um, truth is, you don't know who did it. And, you know, they've said before regarding the death of John Aaron, um, poison is a woman's weapon. and And that's kind of documented throughout real history and all that stuff uh, except to say that it could be still misleading i think a guy still could have done this um yeah i mean Tyrion is the one who's framed for it so the question remains who had access to the cup Tyrion only handled it when he was bringing it to and from joffrey right there there was never really a moment where he had an op- well really only to joffrey 
um, Tyrion never had an opportunity to really do much of anything, at least from what I saw watching the show. Right. And Tyrion, more so than anything else, did not want to be there. I mean, he wanted to leave. He wanted to go. Mm-hmm. He, he had no motivation uh, in that moment to really – other than you know the, the normal hatred that he has shown for his nephew throughout the course of the seasons – Nothing else um, in particular w- would have made him want to do anything more than he's wanted to do these last four seasons, right? I mean, he's... But the, the problem is, you know, planning something like this, having a cup just sitting out on the table, how do you know that that one's going to be the one that's grabbed uh, by anybody? Well, you know, not by Tyrion, not by anything like that. And, and for the person who had sat in front of, which was not Joffrey, uh, you know, we said it was probably either Cersei or, or the Lady Elena, um... How do you prevent her from drinking it first and giving out the plan? I'm stuck at a different point, though. I look at it, and I'm still not convinced it was the wine. I mean, there, were, there was a few things he was ingesting, and did he even choke on poison or whatever at all? It could have – he literally could have – I don't know. I, there's just – there's so many strange theories and he ideas. He choked on that piece of bird that he <laughs> – Cut open. Cut open cut the pie. pie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's bird flu, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would venture a guess just by the reaction – uh, that his body had that he was poisoned on some level, uh, you know, with the yeah. I mean, the it was way intense. His face contorted and and bled. Got purple. And his eyes were just completely red. Uh, uh, Mike, you, you mentioned uh, on the I guess Friday's episode that the the name Purple Wedding is mm-hmm. kind of a fan, um, of course, you know, yeah, name. But is that because wine is purple, or is there? I think it's because fact? it's the shade his face turned. Oh, that's what that's, I've always that's sick. <laughs> believed. Yeah. To be true, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty sadistic uh, when you think about it. At the end of the day, that um, the name is is really based on the color of this poor kid's face. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, go back to the red wedding and realize well, what that was, was named for. <laughs> red was red was taken. They couldn't have the red wedding part two. Although I will say, you know, in terms of uh, finishing up plot lines and plot threads. Would you say that Ned Stark has been brought to justice? I mean, on a small level, yeah, because at the end of the day, Joffrey's the guy who was standing there who was like, do it, Deems, you know. Just all the jabs that he made to every family, really, to the Baratheons, you know, with Renly. Uh, the the War of the Five Kings uh, little skit that was put on by the mm-hmm. little people um, was just filled with offensive actions and dialogue and uh, the Rob Stark, you know, screwing – his wolf, uh, just really um, childish, and if I think he very clearly in the last moments of his life made a hundred more enemies. That if this hadn't happened, he really would have needed to lay low. I love the introduction of that scene because that was another one of those moments I felt like something bad was going to happen. That's when he would stopped the uh, the people playing music and. The camera had just cut away from all of the the scenes where Brienne was speaking to Cersei and Loras had his flirt session with the Red Viper and then bumped into Jamie and had their little exchange. So I thought, okay, something interesting is going to happen here. It's going to be bad because he's stomping and saying it's not a time for fun. This is a time for history. I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? Are they going to kill Sansa here? Like, you know, like history. Are we finishing off the Stark bloodline? Like, what's the deal? And then a a nice congenial play happens. And I think in his... (laughs) screwed up twisted crossbow ridden mind that he considered that to be totally appropriate and actually funny because he was literally giggling up there while drinking wine and being drunk yeah well not only that but it was performed by a bunch of dwarves and that was intentional there's no question oh yeah it wasn't like he just brought out a bunch of 
regular actors who could perform. He did this as insult to his uncle. Oh, and, and furthermore, he's bigger than them. I mean, for a kind of a short guy. Um, it's, they're, they're little because they are of little significance as well as those five kings. That's an interesting point. Uh, but plenty more to talk about that happened in this episode. And, you know, I really think this episode, uh, just going off of how I felt about last week's, perfect episode. And that's even before the, the Joffrey murder. I loved how it switched between um, families. I loved how it just seemed like important stuff upon important stuff was happening everywhere. I think that what we've done, which is a, a major mistake so far in this program, is yet to bring up what happened with our good friend Bran and our good friend Hodor when they were playing together in the forest. Well, Zach, what did happen? Do you know? I think we all know. We 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 were watching the show together. We know what we saw, but what did we see? Through our third eye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh I'd have to go back and freeze frame. There's a tree up north. Uh, I believe the line is look for me uh beneath the tree north. I wrote that down in my notes. Um so he is going in the right direction and as far as trees with faces go, this one was Pretty darn sweet. I definitely didn't expect them to meet a weirwood tree and for Bran to do some kind of like, I'm going to put my eyes on the top of my head and start worrying on that said <laughs> tree. But it did happen. And, and this was the moment from the trailers that when we were speculating, I was like, his head's dropping down. I think he's about to see something. And, and that's actually happened. And so I he's think that, yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. We got to see Ned Stark in the show again, a clip of his face. I mean, was what that not huge and crazy? It was huge. And and talk about an episode where Ned gets his justice. Um, you know, do you think it's because we saw the Three-Eyed Raven and then Ned or Ned and then the Three-Eyed Raven immediately after each other. But do you think that, again, I guess we've raised the question before, but do you think the warging capability comes from the Stark bloodline? I don't have enough information drawn from the episode, you know? Yeah, I, I don't really know uh, 100% if that's the case or not. I, I don't have enough information myself, but... I just thought the uh, the sequence of flashes that he has when he is warging, uh, for lack of a better term, into that tree, or or whatever you want to call that connection that he has with the werewood, uh, there was a lot of interesting things there, and from a from a book reader's perspective, it got me really excited uh, because a lot of this material is in the future, and and not really in the third book. So the fact that he's now beyond the wall and the fact that there were a lot of scenes there that, uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing how they materialize. I can't wait to get into it more on our other episode later this week. Cause I have a feeling it's going to be a compartmentalized version of our epic house of the undying episode during our read through of a clash of Kings. You know what I mean? That yeah. just small little, little, breaches of reality like what is this is it going to happen is this to come we got to see the dragon flying over king's landing in that shot <laughs> i mean this is a an episode that was written by george we all have to remember that so everything was put importantly into this episode by the guy who created the entire book series and inspired this entire show so we all know that so having that information you, know, you think about the visions that Brand saw in this tree. It's just like, well, that's a way to start out episode two in season four, and right. it fits. It fits the rest of the show. He 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 almost had new toys to play with because Marjorie and uh, Brienne, for instance, uh, they had another scene in this episode. And knowing that George wrote it, he's he's playing along. He's playing by the rules of the characters that have been introduced on the show and given more prominence than he may have necessarily given them in his books. 
And I, I, I like that idea. Well, it's possible that they do meet at some point. I mean, it's just oh. not, not focal, you know, like it is in the show where you have two great, uh, actresses and they're able to just kind of come together to, you know, have discussion around something that was seemingly important to both of them, uh, in Renly, though probably more important to Brienne than Marjorie based on things we've learned about her. But I, I would just say going back to the scene beyond the wall, though, that, uh, a couple of things. Zach mentioned the dragon flying over King's Landing, but also uh, we we saw that uh, throne room that we had seen uh, Daenerys walk into at one point that was kind of covered in snow. Uh, we saw yes. those ravens flying out of the tree, uh, much like we saw uh, during that scene with Sam and Gilly after he had killed one of the White Walkers. And uh, we also saw the horse uh, that appears, I believe, in the trailer, um, which one of the White Walkers appear to be riding, or, or one of the Whites, I should say, appear to be riding. So hmm. uh, I found a lot of that uh, to be kind of cool, and I'm interested to see for Bran um, how his storyline plays out over the course of the season, and uh, there's a lot of cool things that lie ahead for him. Uh, but... One more thing with Bran, though, and and um, I don't know if this was something that you guys were going to touch on or not, but it was important that they mentioned, you know, kind of when he first woke up, when he was still inside of summer, uh, and he he's spending too much of his time inside of his direwolf, and it's causing him to become weak, and he's not eating. He's he's eating through summer, which isn't really eating at all. And you know, Jojen, tall? Did you just say yeah, no, I did that. I did that on purpose. You could tell Jojen was getting was. a little bit irritated. Yeah, uh, he a felt bit. a little bit. He was jealous. Uh, Come on, he was, he was jealous, and he was, was like, "You're forgetting about us." Actually, it was Mira who who did all the talking. Um, but she's just like, "Then you'll forget about Rickon, and then you'll forget about us." It's just like well, that sounds like a, a real a real danger, though, like a real threat. If you if you think about at least what we've seen in other stories, what we can pull out of other stories, if you are inside of the mind of something else for too long, you'll forget yourself. That's popular in lore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So knowing that, okay, we understand the danger here, but I, I do feel that Jojen was a little a little jealous of Bran's chosen oneness. Yeah, he says how great it must be to run. It's like, dude, you can run. Bran can't run, so why don't you chill <laughs> yeah. the hell out? <laughs> well, it was a great point that he made, though, because, I mean, for Bran, that really is a very cool thing. And, and how cool of a way to wake him from that warging Hodor. inside of summer with Hodor just echoing and yeah, you probably shook him too. The whole um, thing. But, but it was this great. exchange did take place, I believe, in book two because I strongly feel we've read it uh, between Jojen and Bran. So to see it brought up in season four means it was important. This was the time and place for it, that sort of thing. Um, but Bran is scolded kind of earlier, early on in the books uh, when they're traveling. Um, right. This exact thing, you cannot lose yourself, but. I like how they kind of held off, and now it's becoming sort of a larger, you know, plot issue uh, for Bran wanting to escape. He feels like so much of the answers and things rely on his abilities as opposed to his sort of real-world existence. But I think you you have to remember that this is an escape for him. You know, he's able to go inside of Summer, and he's able to almost feel release. He's he's not restricted in the same ways that he is when he's Bran. It's and like Avatar, Sam Worthington's Avatar. 
You're right. like, I can run around through trees and I have this great haircut, you know? And a blue wife. Yeah, she's blue. <laughs> what I feel like How saying quaint. here is the show opened with a death, so it was only appropriate that it ended with one, right? Uh, though the one that uh, opened the show was left off screen. You were just... Uh, Thankfully. Unfortunately... <laughs> Had to kind of visualize it in your mind what was Listen going to on. Listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> it no, does. it's it shows you how twisted um, Ramsey really is, and it's something that is brought to light uh, in the books. You know, these hunts that he has, where he he chases down girls and he uses them as his playthings. And if if Theon, what happened to him last season, wasn't enough of an indication of just how mental Ramsey is, then this should validate it by leaps and bounds i think it would be unfair and unjust and unworthy to speak a word more about the scene without complimenting alfie allen's ability to portray the most perfect Greek oh. i could imagine nice shot my lord <laughs> great shot i was just like oh it was and you know we shouldn't let miranda off the hook miranda being the name uh that ramsey gives to his um fellow huntress uh there but really just that they brought theon along for the hunt or shall i say reek um, and he was forced to sort of watch the, the girl get mauled by a dog. Um, just shows how broken he was. This whole scene really indicates, uh, and certainly so does the shaving scene, um, how Theon over the past couple of weeks has been uh, dehumanized and sort of, I mean, how much of Theon do you think is really still there? And I guess that's a question that prompts itself because things like the death of Rob Stark and the failure uh, to kill Bran and Rickon in the first place are brought up right in front of him. And, you know, he's got a knife to Ramsay's throat and doesn't cut it. I think that scene to me, though, was less about Theon slash Reek and more about Ramsay trying to prove himself to his father. And mm -hmm. there's a lot what of a way parallels, to do it, though. though, between <laughs> it made me think back to Theon. Uh, when he goes and tries to prove himself to Balin Greyjoy uh, with his plans. And Ramsay has – a lot of people in this series have daddy issues, and Ramsay is just another one of them. And, and you know, Lord Bolton is very quick to point out uh, that he is a bastard, and you know he still has much proving yet to do, though I think that that scene with Theon just really reinforced – just the lengths that Ramsey's willing to go to to kind of get into the good graces of his father. And that was all open with an incredible look at the Dreadfort. I'll stop you right there for a second because you mentioned open with the Dreadfort, and I forgot. This is something I noticed as soon as the show came on when the titles were going. Um, you know, they have the spinning, uh, whatever you would call I forget what the, the name for it is. Um, uh, Vitruvian Man sort of, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the contraption. But they've got the spinning, um, you know, rings. Thing. Yes, the spinning rings of the Game of Thrones logo. I thought that I saw, just for a moment, them hover and slow down a little bit just as the rings were making an X on the screen, as in the, the flayed man symbol of, of a sprawled uh, person. I'll have to research that heavier, but it looked exactly to me like the Bolton uh, sigil at the beginning mm. of the show. We did get to see the Dreadfort on that map, and in live action... Which was very exciting to me. We got to see the epic write-up of Bruce Bolton and also Walda Frey, if anyone remembers yes. seeing her. She was I'm the so nicest person in that whole square, right? <laughs> she was the she what? She was so kind. The nicest person there. Oh, yeah, by far. the saddest thing ever for, for Ramsay to pretend affection 
and well, and give her a ni- like a nice kiss, like a genuinely nice kiss. And she just opened right up to him. And you see how easy it is for him to then toy with her. Um, it's I'm glad he's being sent away. Hopefully he will not have much time to do this poor girl some harm. Yeah. The exchange between Roos and Ramsey right there when he first arrived with the horse. Arrived. That's not even a word, but it sounds great. When he first <laughs> arrived with the horse, there was a lot there. I felt like there was a lot we could pick up on regarding his relationship with his dad, which I think is something a lot of us have been waiting to actually definitively see. But in addition to that, when Locke was walking by, and it was very quick. It was just toward the end of that scene, and they were kind of walking under the portcullis. Ramsey said to him, he goes, hey, you know, I heard you took the Kingslayer's hand. And, and Locke is like, you know, you should have heard him scream or whatever. It's just painting a really good picture of the kinds of people that hang out at this place and the kinds of people that Roose Bolton surround himself with. Yeah, absolutely. And I made a note of that. I said they have a, a weird relationship as it relates to pain, right? Like they're they're both sadistic. They like that kind of treatment of people. The fa- He said something along the lines of, uh, you would have loved the screaming, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it was the Kingslayer's hand, so I had to. Even if it would get me in trouble, I had to do it. And that's just the kind of people that they are. So this new idea that they have to go check out Moat Kalen and see what's going on, ride north and check out what the Greyjoys are, are doing, I definitely feel like Ramsay ruined a lot of Bruce's plans because he had to sneak back into his own land because of the fallout of what exactly happened. I don't think it was related directly to Theon and how Theon was handled, but Roos is right in saying if Theon were whole, we'd at least have a bargaining chip better than what we have now. Right. Uh, until, of course, Ramsey pulls out the um, you know unknown knowledge that the Stark boys are still alive, which is really his right. trump card. It's his trump card, and, and he uses it to still maintain just a little bit of respect or uh, you know appreciation approval from his father. Um, it was just really well uh, how this the scene played out. You know, again, though, you mentioned how they could have ransomed potentially Theon, but then uh, Ramsey also brings up the point. Well, I tried that. I sent terms to Bale and Greyjoy, and <laughs> yeah. you know, just turns around and he says, "You did what?" Yeah, he's like you, you were doing terms. official business, business, business without without my permission. He's like, "Well, you did make me acting, Lord." And he's like, "Well, I acted." Yeah, he's like, you know, doing letter seals, writing up official documents, and he's just Ramsey Bolton, right? And so now, uh, the the list of people who know that Brandon Ricken are alive has grown uh, by a few. Sam last season. And now uh, Bruce Bolton and Locke are aware of that. And it'd be interesting to see if anybody else uh, gains that information. But just interesting that the Tywin Lannister and Roose Bolton alliance did not extend to him aiding Bolton in any way to take <laughs> the North that he is the warden of. Well, just imagine if Tywin Lannister ever got his hands on Locke. Oh, gosh. Oh. Yeah, that's not pretty. <laughs> He's like, there's only a few people in the entire world that we know of that can smelt Valyrian steel. We got the guy from furthest away who's the best at it to come here and make the sword that I got for you that I used from someone else's sword. You just mentioned uh, the Valyrian steel sword. We did see who gets the second sword. Um, but he doesn't need it anymore. <laughs> very briefly uh, there. So now it's in limbo. Perhaps perhaps Prince Tommen will get it. But uh, you know, that just reminds me of Jamie learning how to swing with his other sword. And who should he have as an instructor? Now, here was the moment where I was hoping that Cyril Pharrell would show up. 
uh, <laughs> you know, having not been killed because it's not 100% clear. We needed the best sword train in the land. We brought him back from the dead. Here he is. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I thought his death would, perhaps I was the only one, a little ominous uh, or, or not explicitly stated, but it looks like Braun is now the best, most discreet sword uh, teacher uh, in the land. So that, that scene, again, just delivered uh, for me great humor. Um, although I don't think they're trying anymore when it comes to names, because Bronn laid a lady uh, whose uh, husband was Sir Laygood. Um, <laughs> yes, she was. I mean, Sir Laygood's wife is a screamer. I mean, come on. That's, that's <laughs> Well, I mean, you can't blame him. Maybe that's how it is in the book. I just thought we that— We haven't got there yet. <laughs> so so creative— uh, it's just it's just one of those things that Braun would say. Oh yeah. You know, as far as them being found out dueling down here, you know, Jamie getting instructed by Braun and Braun's uh-huh. just like, Yeah, I banged some chick down here, um or I banged some guy's wife down here and uh yeah, if he couldn't hear her screaming, then chances are they won't hear us uh, you know, playing with swords. Yeah, if, if we can get away with that, we can get away with practicing swords here. It's middle <laughs> of the day, we'll be fine. Um but uh, you know, props to Jamie. I mean he when he spoke with Tyrion at the beginning of the episode, was very still downtrodden and not eating anything, and he was convinced that he really wouldn't um, serve any purpose on on to remain on the Kingsguard. So we see him a little back and forth here, little you know human moments for him where yeah. he he doubts himself. I thought uh, it was a great moment. Uh, Jamie was was definitely humanized there. It's a beautiful thing to see George R. R. Martin write Bronn and Jamie together like this. Not to mention the scene that we were looking forward to for so long with Tyrion and Jamie, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But just putting those two together and making this the place where Jamie is sort of treated like an equal, I thought that was such a great mechanic of this scene, showing the recovery process and how even though Jamie was such a legendary fighter before he's afraid to get hit hard on the arm. He hasn't had to suffer impact or, or anything. Everyone's treated him so daintly since he's been at the Capitol with his hand. He's not used to this kind of aggression, you know, like being sort of treated like an equal in the sword fight. So that's why Braun is like, let's get these practice swords out. Cause we're about to go at it. And I just thought this was a, a great sort of high, light moment during an episode that we thought was going to be so perilous yeah yeah agreed definitely and, and there was a line and i'm probably not going to quote it directly but when they were sitting at the table together and um Tyrion jokes around about how you know they're <laughs> the imp the cripple and the mad queen or the I, I forget what he calls cersei it's skipping my mind but just you know sort of uh Tywin Lannister's dysfunctional children, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it completely leveled them out. You felt for once as if, not to say that Jamie ever t- treated Tyrion as being different. I think that was one of the more sort of solid relationships that Tyrion's ever had is with his brother. Right. And, you know, he was never mistreated or not treated as an equal um by his brother they they always kind of were on the same even playing field when they were with each other but this really from other people's uh, perspectives i think puts them on on an even playing field and you know you don't it, Jamie is still Jamie but uh you know there's there's something amiss about him that I guess it doesn't really equate him with Tyrion at the end of the day, the way that they're all viewed, but I, I'd like to think it does. Like, in terms of, you know, Jamie Lannister doesn't have that same... He he even notes it in, uh, during that scene, you know, he's he's afraid of how people are going to perceive him, um, you know, with only one hand. Right. Um, well, he's relying on Tyrion's um, contacts now um, as well. You know, Tyrion is one who finds him, Bronn, 
so that no so that nobody ever does find out that he can't even you know kill a pigeon as he said um which happens in this episode that's weird um it does <laughs> but uh you know Tyrion and and also has this other line um try the boar <laughs> Cersei can't get enough of it now that one killed Robert for her um just reminiscing of course referencing past events uh big deal uh both in the show and the books and always funny less so is the transitions of scenes that occur such as Tyrion being served a sausage uh, coming straight from the yes, reef. I noticed yes. that. Yes, <laughs> um, so coy. It's, like, it's still funny, George R. R. Martin. I laughed. You know what was not funny? Um, at least for me, was watching Sir Axel Florent and several other uh, people who were not uh, named be burned alive Ooh. by Stannis and Melisandre. And Solis, who's turning into just one crazy bitch at this point. <laughs> Did you hear what she said? She goes, they smell so good, guys. Oh, I mm. missed that line. That's her she brother, by the way. And uh, Shireen's uncle. And she did not let Melisandre forget that. <laughs> he was my uncle. He was always nice to me. What a welcome return back to Dragonstone, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, what way to come back into it in this next season? Hey, let's have a beach burning, guys. Just let's have a g- beach like burning, before. <laughs> a dinner, and then story time between the red crazy lady and... The young girl with grayscale. Who likes stories. Right. But we're, we're, I think we're forgetting to mention how resilient Davos was in the face of all this fire and flame. Mm, he's treading a thin line, man. You think so? Oh, yeah. Stannis has taken so much more of it now. It's like now's the time to get into Stannis's head and try to win him back on the, the side of, you know, like tactics and, and real numbers and strategy and stop relying on the trickery i mean stannis had a few lines that continued to put davos in his place this is what stannis is good about uh saying that uh the the, the uncle who died axel florent had brought more ships to the cause than davos did mm-hmm. so davos is there like why'd you kill him he was your brother by law and he's like well he we brought more ships than you did it's basically like watch your back you could be next and this banter you know whether or not he'll ever really do it he was certainly almost going to uh, before that raven arrived last season, but uh, it's great to see, and Davos and Stannis, again, are are, are kind of, as you say, um, Stannis is, is either hearing more of Davos's counsel, um, or just becoming tired of the magic shit. But, you know, talking about the Lord of Light again, something that interested me, I don't believe it's been stated on the show, um, just how many gods there are in the realm of the Lord of Lights, because, uh, again, at story time between Shireen Baratheon and Melisandre, she mentions that there are two. Um, and and that, that was a big deal to me, because, you know, she doesn't believe in the seven gods, but we wondered if the Lord of Light were the only one. Um, and he is clearly not. And in fact, uh, let me search for what it was called. Okay, so there's the Lord of Light, who is also the Lord of Love and Joy. <laughs> Good. He, he's brought so much love and joy to the realm. Um, and opposite of him is the god of darkness, evil, and fear. I just think that darkness, evil, and fear have been displayed more by the Lord of Light. Uh, darkness being the shadow, uh, for instance, that was killing that sort of thing. So I think Melisandre's full of crap. Um, but interesting that that is a, I guess, a, a what's the word, a bi-theism? One of the other things that I liked... Um in this and these kind of sequence of scenes even at the dinner table which was just weird it was just weird 
the three of them eating dinner together is like you don't even think that these people eat, but the fact that you have Stannis, <laughs> Solis, and Melisandre at a dinner table together, they just is, burn you, people. You, you, <laughs> it feeds them. I, I don't know. They're, they're, you, I don't think you could ask for a weirder dinner party than the three of them. But um, you you started to get uh, some insight into Melisandre, uh, who she is, where she's from, what her childhood was like. She even mentions it. Uh, in the next scene with Shireen, albeit very briefly, but you know, Melisandre is somebody who we learn a lot more about uh, as the the book series uh, goes along in, in terms of her backstory. So I think that uh, knowing that this episode was written by George R. R. Martin, the fact that we're having little pieces of information dropped in there about her past uh, was kind of cool to see. Um, and speaking of somebody who got sort of a reprieve um apparently Shay made it to safety. We think in this episode. I mean Bron on Bron's word on his honor as a sellsword. That's true. No, no, he said drink until you can't remember it or drink until it doesn't until hurt. Until you anymore. remember that you did something good. Um and Tyrion, a harsh scene for him, having to basically devalue Shay so that she would leave. Of course he did it out of love and necessity. Um we saw openly that Cersei told Tywin about her. Um, we knew that Cersei knew at the beginning of this episode, thanks to Varys, uh, but uh, they, she was an inch from death, and we sensed that it was coming, and apparently she escaped it for now, which is shocking. But Tywin also said, bring her to the Tower of the Hand before the wedding. Right. So, who knows? Bronn is a sellsword after all, however loyal he's been to Tyrion. Well, that's Perhaps what Tywin to. has some more money than Tyrion yeah. does. That's what it amounts to, though. Is is whether or not we can trust Bronn moving forward. So if Shay ends up dead, there goes our trust for him and Tyrion's trust for him. Well, it's um, it's a great question to ask because Tyrion now is being accused of Joffrey's death. So if I was Bronn, I would probably want to distance myself as much as possible um, from from Tyrion right now in King's Landing. Yeah, I mean, if they're putting Tyrion in chains, then most likely people like Pod and Bronn are going to have some questioning thrown their way. Exactly. Uh, but it, w- it was uh, kind of a tough scene to watch there between Tyrion and Shade and uh, the conversation that he has with Varys. Varys tells him flat out, I'm not lying for you. Uh, <laughs> and as much as those two have been buddies uh, the last couple of seasons, Varys plainly states, look, I told you what to do. You didn't want to do it. And now here we are. So if your father or your sister come asking me about her, I'm going to tell them the truth. I have to protect my own ass above yours. I think that was a proper way to introduce Varys into this fourth season, though, because we got to see a famous exchange between him and Tyrion, which is great. We were all looking forward to that. But to end it with a reminder that his loyalty and his power, it doesn't come from his last name. He doesn't have an epic brother who can save his life. He doesn't have family that's royalty. He just has his word. And he literally can't go and lie to the queen. He can't lie to the hand of the king, the people that essentially write his paycheck. Yeah, it's uh, this was just an episode that had so much going on, especially the wedding scene alone, even before Joffrey uh, was killed. There was just uh, a lot of great uh, interaction between a lot of different characters. And I, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, I thought the Red Viper uh, behaved uh, very well in this episode. He and was on he his pe- best behavior. <laughs> he appeared to threaten uh, Marcella's safety because she is in Dorne, where they don't condone that sort of thing. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, Mace Terrell 
for yeah. his role presenting the goblin. a great introduction for for Mace Terrell and uh in the hopes that he will be around um for the future and uh you know as we continue sort of the expanding of cast and the introduction of new families at least now we've heard a lot about these people uh, over the course of the last few seasons and now to finally put faces to names uh it's it's cool to see and now the uh the martells have become an integral part an integral family um or i should say the Terrells, i'm sorry have become an integral family in all of this there's still a metric ton of things left in this episode to talk about I'm just the fleeting looks between this character and that there are subtleties that we have missed because we are recording this just after watching. And luckily we have the mechanic of having another episode to bring to you guys this week where we read even more of your stuff and talk about all of this even further and even deeper. Does that mean that it is time for our owns of this episode? I think so. Who should go first? I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) Then you go. Perfect. Okay. Uh, who do we go to first here? I would like to give one to Roos Bolton for saying, they're my banners, not yours. You're not a Bolton. You're a Snow. Interesting how people like Tywin, fathers like Tywin and Roos, play, uh, throw that in their sons' faces when it is strategically convenient um, for them to, you know, Tyrion, Tywin, of course, says, you know, you're an imp, you're a monster, you're an abomination every time he wants Tyrion to do something. And Roos similarly controlled Ramsay in this way. Yes, it worked. Um, I'd like to give a a secondary own uh, to the Queen of Thorns for pointing out to Tywin Lannister that the Iron Bank will have its due. I think that was a nice little nugget that George threw in there, saying, "Hey, by the way, this war that you've been fighting, it costs money, <laughs> and the the bank that you borrowed money from from." Yeah, they're going to want you to pay them back. Now, the Iron Bank, is that the one located in Bravos, or is that something It is in that, Bravos. It is it in is. Bravos. Mm-hmm. Now, does does, does uh, the Lady Olena have any particular rule or control over the Iron Bank? She's threatening with him. She's threatening him with it. She's just giving she, him advice. She's she being very nice. Well, she's paid her fair share of the wedding, by the way, from everything mm-hmm. we hear her talk about in this episode. Uh, but here, let me get to my own. Uh, my own of this episode, and if you didn't see it, please go back and watch it again. Uh, it is when uh, the Red Viper, Oberyn Martell, and Hilarious Sand approach the contortionist. And as <laughs> Podrick is Podrick. walking by, Podrick's neck twists around, and all three of them are staring at her at the same time. It's great. It's definitely my own of the episode. Oh, my God. Oh, that scene is so good. Oberyn's like, Hi. And Tyrion's like, hello. And he's like, not you. And he walks up to the contortionist. Oberyn gives a lot of good looks uh, around. Looks looks all around for him. Him and Loras made eye contact. Mm-hmm. Well, my own, uh, it's very uh, unfabulous, uh, but fabulous at the same time, if you'll think of it that way. Uh, book soup, everybody. Book, book soup. And I texted this to Micah and Zach in the middle of the episode. I broke our radio silence just to say this. The story of Stannis fashioning a soup out of books pretty much the only thing they had while they were you know stuck yes and then Celise talks about the seagulls that that's my own <laughs> okay well, can i do my own now yes go ahead all right my Sorry. own of this episode no it's fine i'm glad to you i have very rarely that you get a uh, an introduction that's not prompted uh for your own because we don't share these so i'm gonna proudly go into mine which is 
from Stannis Baratheon, who I think was incredible in this episode. Just mm. brilliant. Brilliant writing, brilliant portrayal of the character. It was great. If I was a chef, I'd go, Mwah, bellissimo, or whatever they say. I don't <laughs> even know what that means. Something well, Mario would say. It goes to Stannis for his conversation with his wife. Not in the way that he treated her, because he was being kind of an asshole. But for what he said, because it was also kind of hilarious. She was talking to him about a story, and we've all been there. You guys have been at awkward dinners, maybe with your friends or family or your family friends. And someone is searching for something to talk about that's lighthearted. And maybe they want to get you involved in the conversation as well. This is what his wife is doing. And she was talking about the grilled seagulls. And she was like, do you remember? She's telling the whole story. Like, yes, of course I remember. <laughs> she's, she's a bit demented, though. I, I think we can safely say that, right? Well, to somebody who's starving and malnourished, uh, no, she's right. she's crazier than a shit house rat. <laughs> We've said that before. That's my line. I know. It sounds pretty good, though. I, really that's why I wanted it. to say it because it sounded so good. So now is the time where we go to that little bluebird uh, on the interwebs and read what your owns of this episode were. We can only imagine where this is going to begin. So, Eric, despite your flu-like symptoms. Perhaps avian flu. Um, Perhaps. We would like you to read the tweets in however long it takes you or less. Go. Well, the first one comes from Kristen Burford, who says, Rule of thumb, stay away from Westerosi weddings. Mm-hmm. There you go. I think that is a good rule of thumb good from idea. now on. Mary D. Loris to Jamie on marrying Cersei, quote, neither will you. Pat Burn. Um, in a whisper, agrees Oberyn Martell burning Tywin. Uh, when he said how in some parts raping and murdering and women and children is still frowned upon. So Amy Christina says the own of stupidity goes to Joffrey. Quote, I'm choking on poison. Let me drink some more poison to help. <laughs> Jason Reiner again, Laura Stone, Jamie, neither will you. Wenda, the white fawn on Twitter. That. I'm surprised they didn't have Joffrey clawing his throat out like in the books. Ooh. That's a spoiler. Well, I'm sure he dies in the books, too. (laughs) (laughs) Katie Awad says, Owen goes to the poison for finally doing what no one else would. Hashtag, he is finally dead. Jubilation continues. Margot says, Melisandre got owned by the Princess of Dragonstone. Quote, Afterward, they weren't ash and bone. Agree. That is a good... She didn't have anything to say back to that. Raina Shannon says, Cersei owned Brienne, and thus the whole fandom tonight... Jamie and Brienne forever. Hashtag ships hip hooray. I love that hashtag. You love him. Uh, Jay Obbs, my own goes to the contortionist on the table at the wedding. She owned me and Podrick <laughs> at the same time. Uh, Katie Flores, Loris owns for taking Jamie's bitch slap and serving one even better back. Neither will you. Snow Lisi says, How can you choose? Oberyn owned Cersei by calling her lady. Cersei owned Brienne by making her realize she loved Jamie. Uh, Brienne really had nothing to say to that. Yeah, that was awkward. From Renly to Jamie. Okay, Dave Kurt says, So many owns. So far, uh, douche Joffrey owning the book Tyrion gave him as a gift. Hashtag purple wedding. He did. And, you know, I thought thought Joffrey just did, like, the most redeeming thing for the character. when When he said that line Uh about... About Mace. needing wisdom, right? About about wanting to bring more wisdom into the realm now that the war is over. It was such a nice character moment. Mad props uh, just from all of us at the, the Goo family to uh, Jack Leeson again. Uh, of course, John Brothers uh, says mine goes to Cersei for the leftover food thing. Karma, bitch. Yeah, what does she have against the poor people? Seriously, she is just she's a nightmare. She has nothing keep those against fed. Them. 
Well, she might have something against them, but she has more against Marjorie. Makes right. her look bad. Libush says, Seriously, Olena, like Mace STFU with your bumbling ass already. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, she was talking with Tywin. <laughs> Not now, Mace. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Michelle Lynn says, Own to Tyrion for finally telling off Shay. I just wish he meant all of those mean things he said. She deserved it. That's Ooh. mean. Set so sail, Shay. That is a hashtag and Oh no! Oh no, guys! This own should perhaps close our episode. Brendan Fitzpatrick says, "My own goes to Joffrey's throat for closing." And that was Eric Skull reads the tweets in however long it takes him or less. Exactly. <laughs> and we are still getting owns, guys. And yeah, no, they're yes. still coming in. Let us just promise. Uh, of course, all of these hashtags, exciting as they are, are trending. Uh, we will continue to read some of the owns on Friday's scheduled episode. Both from Twitter and uh, from Facebook, where a lot of you have begun to scroll upon the wall there and leave your owns on Facebook, uh, which you can do anytime you want. Any time of the day, night, does not matter. The wall is open for you to scroll. Always open. Girls are allowed, too. Yeah, of course they are. More than welcome. They they have the better owns, to be honest with you. For the most wow, part. The girls have been showing up to, in the past few episodes. They have. Mike is, Mike is challenged to the men of the realm. And and I think it is important to mention, uh, you know, before we get to our closing here, one thing that at least I don't remember us bringing up, Sansa has been um, told oh, God. You to know. be taken or not told to be taken, she has been taken from what we know by Sir Dantos. It was running through my mind the entire time we were talking about the uh, detective stuff earlier. Yeah, um, the preview, the very short preview uh, of next week's episode uh, showed Dantos leading her along the corridor. We hope that their escape is um, successful. Yeah, there is still so much from this episode to talk about, guys. Ridiculously, so much left to talk about. It's going to leave a lot for us to discuss on uh, Friday's episode. It'll be a listener-based episode, as uh, you know, last Friday's was. We like to get in your tweets, your your Facebook posts, and uh, your emails, and whatever else you want to send us. To be honest, if you want to send it to our homes as well, um, chances are may not get here by Friday, but we'll try our best. We'll open up the mail and. Uh, See if your written word uh, looks as good as how you type on the computer. I'll leave my window open. Uh-huh. You know, one thing that I don't think you'll be able to get through Zach's window, though, is your review on iTunes. It's just not technically <laughs> possible. possible. Yeah. So our uh, our one request uh, of all of you, um, when you do find time in your lives, is to head on over to iTunes and uh, leave us a nice little rate and review. It is the month of April, so nothing less than five stars. Is acceptable. In fact, five stars is all that's acceptable any month of any year. No, we we really uh, encourage you though to do just that. Go and leave your feedback on iTunes because this is the time of year that, uh, with the season being now in full swing, that a lot of others out there not 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 like the others others, but you, you others. get what we're saying here. Um, there are people who are looking <laughs> for you know something fun to listen to uh, to kind of get them through the week before the next episode of Game of Thrones, and your feedback helps in that because they have these weird algorithms that make our show pop up in different places depending on how it's rated, and that's uh, important to us. Hopefully uh, there'll be some more reviews to read on Friday. Uh, I know we read some last week, but uh, we do like sharing your feedback on the show as well. So head on over to iTunes. You know what to do by now. 
And uh, like I said, we thank you in advance. So can we all gather our thoughts and give Jack Gleason a like final standing ovation this episode? I'm sure we'll do it again on Friday. How about we raise job. a glass to him? Yeah, let's raise a glass. <laughs> I'm going to raise this old vinegar bottle I keep water in. Mm. Yep, I have a glass of water here. I'm going to raise so, it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're celebrating, guys. There's, there's strings playing. You can hear it all. There's many, many things to be popping up on the site, which is winterisComing.net. You guys all know that. My glass is raised, Micah Tannenbaum. Is it, Zach Louie? Is it raised higher than mine? I'm well, raising mine's the highest so high. of them all. How high is yours, Eric Skull? It's very high. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, geez, what's a good... <laughs>